on Sunday, Pat asked me to speak on the topic of hearing God's voice. And so I took a quick set of notes and, and got them ready for Pat. And then Colt decided I want to hear God's voice. And so that made the double whammy. So we put them together and decided that's what I'd write on. So I've been going after it ever since they left the house. And it's good that I only work from 3.30 on because I'm at page 7, so it could have gone a lot further if I'd had my normal eight hours. Anyway, let's talk on hearing God's voice. And I'm going to approach it as if it's a struggle and what we should do about it. Because for the most part, I don't have too many of you coming to me saying, oh, I just hear God's voice so easy. It's just never a problem. I always hear God's voice speak to me. So I thought we would go into the struggle to hear God speak to us. Let's look into what does it mean when God won't speak to us? And I'm going to tell you, you can't be impatient. Some of you, it's the patience issue that causes the problem on hearing God's voice. Now, one way you can do it is just get someone to do it for you. Now, we won't name too many names, but I do remember Adrian. He didn't like writing his senior papers. So for a certain amount of money, his cousin would write his papers for him. And, you know, these in-house family deals. And I'd watch the exchange go on down here, and Adrian would pay and get his cousin to write his research papers. Well, it's kind of the same thought we have here, is that Samuel did Saul's hearing for him. So you can get someone to do it for you. You can get a little deal worked out and just say, this is my person, they hear God's voice. You'll see that Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king. Now, that's the person you want hearing for you. When they hear you're going to be king, that's the right person to hear. So I think that's funny in 1 Samuel 15 that actually one reason it was easy for Saul to believe that Samuel could hear the Lord is because he made him a king, but he also did some things to prove it to him. He told him the donkeys you're searching for, they've been found. He gave him a list of other things that were going to happen. He told him what direction to take in life. So that's one thing to remember is that when someone does hear the Lord for you and they tell you something about your life, realize that that person may hear other things for you. You can't just turn it on when they're telling you what you want to hear. Like, I like it when they tell me I'm going to be king, but I'm going to turn it off when they say something else I don't like. And that's what some of our problems are. We have a little knob and we turn it on and we turn it off depending on what we want. So I would challenge you, take your wants off the table. Just tell God, I surrender to hearing your voice. I'm not going to play games with you and, and turn it on when I like it and turn it off. But this is what happened with Saul. And I want you to notice that in verse 1, he's told that he's going to be anointed king. But by verse 11... Listen to this. I regret that I made Saul king, for he's turned back from following me and has not carried out my word. I Lance, I'm telling you, 10 verses, and Saul already has on him that God regretted that he had made him king. So you see that what comes with hearing God is carrying out the word. So don't just say, oh, I want to hear, but, oh, I want to carry out what God's telling me to do. And I have to actually make a conscious effort to say this is the most important person to me in my life speaking to me. If God's going to care enough about me to speak to me, then I've got to carry out his word. So that's what got him in a place with God where he regretted it. 
And you would have thought that by the time that Saul heard that God actually regretted making him king, that you would think he'd be humbled by that, that he would be like, oh, that's terrible. I mean, that would make you feel terrible that God said, I regret that I put you in this position. So you don't want God to have a regret over you. But you see something with Saul, and he's kind of oblivious to it. You know, like God said, I regret it, but he just kind of, it it just doesn't go inside of him. You don't see any emotion towards it. You don't see any movement out of him. Samuel explains it a little further in verse 23. He says, for rebellion is of the sin of witchcraft. And that's where we get that. That's why you can have a spirit of witchcraft, and it's a form of rebellion. It's a form of control. And it says stubbornness. Mm. I don't want to look up and look at anybody on stubbornness. But stubbornness is just like iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. And so God explains to Saul what the problem is. In verse 24, Saul finally admits that it's because I feared the people and I heard their voice. And he finally agrees with it. He says, I admit it, I sinned. Now, people pleasers are a group of people that I'm going to say just right off from the start have a hard time hearing God's voice. If you find yourself people pleasing, it's at war with your ability to hear God. And people pleasers are oblivious. It goes with it. Do you see where people pleasers have a hard time? He feared the people. He didn't fear God. That wasn't the thing that he was most concerned about, like, I really want to please God. And it says, and he heard their voice. So one thing that drives the voice of God away from you is your people pleasing. And believe me, you've got a lot of voices around you telling you what to do. There's a lot of people that want you to please them. And Saul admitted, the reason I sinned is because I'm a people pleaser. That's what makes me oblivious to it. And so he was not listening to God's voice because he was listening to those people that were in his life. And that listening to God is a, let's say, kind of a lonely road. You've got to walk it where you spend some time with the Lord alone and let the other relationships conform to that. So you see it unfolding on, because that really wasn't the points that I was making, but I just could not walk away from the fact that Saul says the reason that I can't hear God is because I hear other people talking to me. So you see a life of where years of Samuel hearing God for Saul. It's unusual to think, all right, this person hears God for me. So you can't hear God, and you know you can't hear God, so you get someone to do that hearing for you. And you can do examples straight down Saul's life of how many times did Samuel hear for Saul. And Samuel was constantly coming to Saul, speaking to him. This is what God says, this is what God says, this is what God says. But, oh, the problem happened in 1 Samuel chapter 28. And it said the Philistines assembled, and they came up, while Saul was gathered at Israel, and he set up camp. And so the Philistines assembled in one place, and Saul's army assembled in another place. And when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Now, when you need to hear God is when you're scared. I'm scared. And all us get places in our life where we're like, scared, what are we going to do? But it said, terror filled his heart. I'm going to ask you, can you hear God under pressure? 
Can you hear God when your fear's crazy raging inside of you? Because a lot of times you can hear fear speaking. Old man fear, he talks. And this was the point that Saul was at where he could not hear what to do. Now the problem was, it starts the verse out by saying, now Samuel was dead. A little problem there. The guy, your go-to guy, he's dead. And the Philistine army was facing Saul, and he does not know what to do. So Saul does what the Bible tells us to do. He inquired of the Lord. Now, you think everything's okay here because it tells you in the Bible, if you seek him, he'll be found by you. If you ask, he'll speak to you. I mean, Saul went to God, and he gave God a chance. And some of you are like, I'm giving God a chance. I'm asking him, what does he want me to do? Oh, but how this verse ends. Like, I asked him. I inquired. That's what the Bible tells me to do. You know every morning in my prayer time, I'm up asking God. It says, but the Lord did not answer him. And so this is the beginning of what we're talking about. When the title is the struggle to hear God and when God won't speak to us. Now, there can be a lot of different things going on where you're not hearing God on a regular basis. But if it's consistent with you and people-pleasing, if it's consistent in you of not reaching out to hear God, if it's consistent in you that you only want to hear God when it benefits yourself and you're scared, if it's consistent in you that there's only those times you reach out, it can cause something to jam. And what I want from you tonight is a heart where you say, I want to hear God speak to me daily. It's my daily bread to hear what my Father wants me to do. So it gives you a list here of how Saul could not hear. So he tried God out, and he said, God, all right, tonight give me a dream. No dream. And he said, okay, how about the Urim? You know, the priests use that. Lord, um, I've got prophets among me. What about those? It says... He did not hear from dreams, priests, or prophets. So you go, well, I read my Bible, and I didn't hear what to do. You know, I want this to be easy. I want somebody that can tell me what to do. And now I'm going to remind you what I'm going to say tonight, that what I got when I was speaking with you is that there's a struggle. You've got to be willing to put in struggle time to hear. Think of you guys who got your higher education. Was it a struggle? Mm -hmm. Think of things that you've gotten in life, that job. Was it a struggle? You struggle for things that mean something to you. Colt, when you were going after Paige, was she a struggle? <laughs> yeah. Those things that mean something to you, there's a struggle involved. Put God in that category that you can't just demand it but there can be a struggle to it. So Saul is panicked. He's attacked, and he does not know what to do. And there are a bunch of things that are happening that make him where he knows, I'm not hearing God. So the little problem with Samuel being dead. Samuel was the one way that he could be sure he heard God. That's your confirmation voice. So Saul's in a hopeless situation. What could Saul do? What could he do? I'm telling you, if I had thought forever, I would have never come up with this idea. I mean, if you're a king 
and you've had a prophet, and he's always heard God for you, who would have come up with something like this? So you don't really think that once somebody's dead that you can really have a chat with them about what to do, but that did not stop Saul. And he realized he had, besides the one little problem about what God thought about that, let's just bypass God and go directly to Samuel to get him to hear God for me. I mean, it's almost humorous if it wasn't so tragic. So he's bypassing what God tells him to do in order to go to a man to hear from God so he'll tell him what to do. And that's what happens to us in life. Many times we want our problems fixed. But we're not necessarily asking God why he's not speaking to us. Like, we're not pressing in. You know, I told you that tragic story that happened between me and that girl when she actually, you know, said to me, you know, I just need another fix. Now, she had been going to uh, fortune tellers, and her arm kept covering over with uh, scratch marks. And so when Steph and I had prayed for her, it had left. But she was wanting her problem fixed. Like, give me another dose of that. But she wasn't so interested in wanting to hear from God or wanting a relationship. And that's where I see people that get under that spirit of witchcraft. I mean, they want answers now, and you're just wasting their time by not giving them the answer they want when they want it. And so this is what happens. But for the life of me, I could not have thought about what Saul could have come up with here. So his immediate problem is something he created. He had been so obedient to God, quote, quote, that he had thrown all the witches out of the land. That'd be like turning off those TV programs with witches on them. He had turned off this channel. He had thrown the witches out of the land. But he decided, maybe if I go real high up north in Israel, up in Endor, that's about as north as you can get. If I go real far along the border, I bet there might be some witches still in business up there. So he went up to the northern section of the country, and he found himself a witch. You know, you think of this, and you understand that a pagan might have thought of something like this to do. But to call up a dead relative, it's one thing. Pagans do that quite a bit. They call up dead relatives. But to speak to a righteous prophet, I wouldn't have even thought that that could work. Like, here you are dabbling with witchcraft, and you're calling up a righteous man to talk to you, but... Ignore the fact I'm using a witch to do it. That's just the person in the middle. God, don't pay attention to the middle man. I just need to talk to him. And that's what I've always liked about this story is the fact that Saul really didn't get into witchcraft. It wasn't like one day he wanted to take off his kingly robes and become a, a witch, a warlock. He literally just had a problem and he needed to get to a righteous guy. And that's how this problem begins is he's got to find Samuel, and it's just an accidental problem that Samuel's dead. But we can get rid of that problem. So he gets a witch, and he says, all right, call up this guy named Samuel. And when he comes, he's old, and he's in a robe, and he's decrepit. And he speaks to Saul. This is the best story to read on a scary night. So Samuel appears. And you know how you can know this was Samuel? Because he was in a bad mood. I mean, he's like, why did you bother me? And he's just angry. You know, there's certain people I'd know if I'd called them back because they come up with an attitude. 
And you know, that's them. It would be Granny. She would have an attitude. And so that's where Saul gets real happy. He's like, I'm going to get an answer. This is the right one. He's in a bad mood. You know, he's kind of been in a bad mood with me for a while, but we can get past this. You know, Saul, he's always getting past problems. So uh, in verse 15, he admits, Samuel's like, why would you do this? Now, if this isn't a theological mess here, I don't know what is. I mean, just get your shovel and start trying to dig out of this one. Then Samuel asks Saul, and he says, why did you do this? Well, Saul admits a little bit of problem here. He goes, well, God's, God's not talking to me. God's not answering me. Now, this is the number one thing you have to solve in your life, is why does God not speak to you? What's blocking it? You know, I've done clogs to healing, hindrances to healing, reasons why you might have something that's blocking your healing. But I want to say, what's blocking your hearing? What's causing God's voice not to get to you? Saul admits that I have a distress on my hand with these Philistines, but God's not answering. And so this shows us something kind of interesting here is that, that we expect God to answer us. Like in a way, that's a show of faith. Just the fact that I belong to God means that I talk to him and he speaks to me. So you're seeing actually some faith on this. Like I believe that God should speak to me. Like it's an understanding that God does speak to his people. So Saul's making the point here, and I think it's very interesting to say there's an expectation here for an answer. So the first thing that I would tell you to do is have an expectation that it is God's will to speak to you. There's an expectation. So if it's not working, then you can look for the problem. You can troubleshoot. Because there is the expectation that if you are connected to God, he will speak. So they didn't just settle for God's silence as being normal or expected. He realized something. God has given me the silent treatment. Men know what that is. Everything okay? Yeah. Have I done something? No. You know the silent treatment. <laughs> you know when you're in the doghouse. Nothing's spoken. You go in there and try to have one of those crucial conversations. You can see it's making it worse. It's the silent treatment. Saul understood what was happening. I mean, no matter what the little woman says, you know you have done something. You don't know what it is you've done, but you have done something that has got her where she is not going to tell you. She expects you to figure it out, what you've done. The same thing is here. You've got to figure out what it is of why there's a silent God, what you've done, the silent treatment. God's silence was not a good sign. It was a sign of trouble. They knew that God heard them and that God promised them that he would answer when they asked. Listening, inquiring of God, and hearing nothing. Put an expectation there and say, I'll hear. That doesn't happen where God doesn't talk unless something is wrong. So the point here is God speaking to you is the normal response to a prayer. It's the answer that God gives. 
So at this point, we see that he knew he didn't get an answer. Now, in fact, it is so rare and so emotionally powerful to not get an answer that this is what created Saul to do something drastic. Is that how you approach it in life? If you can't hear from God, you'll take a drastic step. You'll keep pressing in. The shock of when God doesn't uh, speak to you. But what happens here is it's what Saul did. He gave up without a struggle. When he couldn't hear from God and God wouldn't answer him, Saul just, he just gave it up without a struggle on himself. What could Saul have done? At this point, there was one glowing light. Now, if you can't remember this one, when Saul realizes God's not speaking, what should he have done? Repent. You know, as Steph says so famously, it doesn't matter what you repent of, just start repenting. Just start repenting. And so Saul missed his cue here. Now, I always like calling this, I have a a little expression I use for this, but Saul used Samuel as what I call a portable priest. Like everybody needs one. Sometimes you can rent them. Yeah, portable. You get you a portable priest. I get this from Judges 17, 10 through 13. You can get a portable priest. This guy in Judges decides... I need to hire a prophet. I need to hire a man that can hear from God for me. And no kidding, it's right here in your Bible. He hires one, and he tells the guy, would you come? Would you live on my back 40? And I'm going to build you a little house, give you a little salary, and I'm going to put you on the land. In the old days, you know, prehistoric days, judges, In the old days, rich men would move a priest on the land to handle their spiritual affairs. And so this guy had enough money that he decides it's a good thing to have a priest. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you should rent one. Get you one. You know, Saul's in a problem here. He's going, Malasot, Malasot, what to do, what to do. What an idea here. Let's just pull Samuel back from the grave. I mean, his portable priest had gone and died on him. You know... This is where you're working with this thing. You'll hear it said to you, I can't hear. I can't hear God. And this is the direction that I'm going to give you that you can just do something about it. If you can't hear God, I'm giving you some options in the Bible. We can see how they work out. So the I can't hear people, yeah, they're actually afraid of hearing God. I can't hear. Here's what you can do about it. You can just buy yourself one. So if you're afraid of hearing God, that's a lot of pressure on me to have to hear or to take that responsibility. And you put no pull on yourself, no demand on yourself to hear God. What people do when they can't hear. You know, I noticed that one thing that I was doing is I don't ask because you think you can't hear. So you never take that first step. And that's why I was commending Saul, because he actually inquired of the Lord. He actually expected to hear. He actually took that step. But what about us, New Testament believers here, where we don't even bother to ask? You know, someone said it's kind of like being a Christian atheist. 
I'll just live my life the best I can. I don't hear from God. I just do what seems right and try. And It's really a form of atheism when you're not hearing, where you're not asking, where you're not believing. And you get into something that's very dangerous when you quit asking. I'm not going to ask because I'm afraid I'm not going to hear. That's where the struggle that's where the danger is. That's where Saul found himself. When God didn't speak, he didn't ask. He didn't take it any further. He didn't struggle any with God. So what do you do? You put up a shingle on a house, put up another shingle. What are you doing? Well, I'm building another room onto my house, and you're going to come live with me. And why are you building a room? So I can get this Levite. He can come live with me. He's going to live with me just right out here in my, in my back porch. Why is that Levite living with you? So he can hear God from me. And so that's what some of you have done with your hearing. Oh, don't tell me you haven't. You know, I paid my tithe. That's why my pastor does what he does. I don't have to do it. I own myself a priest. I'm not going to lead someone to the Lord. I'm going to just go let my preacher do it. I pay him his salary. He needs to do it. So we look at this and we go, oh, we would never do this. This is so archaic, but it's the truth. This is what we've done with our hearing. I'm just written one. So it's unusual things that human nature does when we can't hear, but it's really something when you have a seance to get someone here to help you hear God's voice. So I may say, I, I don't know on this written, this guy, this priest, I'm not talking about Saul, but I'm talking about this guy in Judges. Maybe it's better to do that than nobody hearing God. No one around that can hear God. Maybe you should get one. Build your little shack for him and put him out there. In verse 10, it says that he paid him 10 pieces of silver, a suit of clothes, and room and board. That's what he gave him for hearing God. Yeah. And he said in verse 13, you just got to love this line. If you don't mark this in your Bible, you just don't have a sense of humor. Now I know the Lord will prosper me, seeing I own a Levite as a priest. I mean, this is a, a strong sentence here. It's not, he works for me, I own him. So I know now God will bless me and prosper me. Well, my dad told me the secret of success in life is being able to hear God. So this guy had that down. But you know what I'm going to say? You're going to either own one or be one. It's one or the other. It's important that you hear God especially in the days we're living in. Especially, you do not want to be spiritually lazy and not press in to hear God. Now, let me give you the New Testament scripture so y'all can relax a little bit. I've, I've rode you through the Old Testament, and, it's, and it might be hearing God like you've never heard before. Like these may be the verses that you've never heard uh, spoken before on hearing God, but in Judges 17, 10 through 13, 1 Samuel 28 are the two that came to my mind on the importance of being able to hear. So now we're moving it to the New Testament. And y'all all have this memorized. Where in the Bible, in the New Testament, does it promise you you can hear God's voice? Because I know when you struggle with it, you're actually getting that verse out and you're going over it and you're saying, I believe these words. We know it, don't we? Moss. So here we are, and John 10 is your verse for hearing God's voice. 
I want you to mark in your Bible, John 10, 4 and 5, and verse 27. These are your verses for hearing God. What's interesting about it is it gives you two hears and a no. Now, I'm saying K-N-O-W, that you know. Like, there's a knower inside of you. So, John 10 promises you that you will hear God and you will know his voice. And we don't have time to go into all this, but I'm just touching on them lightly because the Holy Spirit will speak to you on them. But there's a difference between hearing his voice and knowing his voice. So you can't tell God how to do it. You've got to let God tell you how he's going to speak to you. So there's different ways he's going to touch with you. So I'm going to move us to a concept that maybe you've heard this term before, but it's called the priesthood of the believer. So I don't have to go get myself a priest to hear God for me. I can do it. Like, I don't need someone between me and God to make intercession. Jesus has already done that for me. He's that intercessor. He's my direct route to the Lord. He's my direct route to the Father. So it's the priesthood of the believer. You are now a priest, a prophet and a priest to the Most High God. So John 10 tells you that you can hear. It says, when he had brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him. The reason we follow God is because we hear God. That may be why some people don't follow God is they're not hearing him. But it says we follow him because we hear him. And then I love this verse. I love how this sounds. They will never follow a stranger. You need to tell yourself, I will never follow a stranger's voice. I will never follow a stranger. Look at this. In fact, they will run away from the stranger because they do not recognize his voice. When we're living in such days of deception, this is such a good promise to realize I do not recognize the voice of a stranger. I only recognize the voice of my father. I only recognize my shepherd. I'm a sheep and I hear the voice of my shepherd. And I love how it says it, that it's a promise to me that I'm not going to get mixed up. I'm not going to go after something that's wrong because I'm going to know and I'm going to listen. Let's skip down a little bit. Verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And he says it again. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So this is a point. I used to make this joke when the first Bible studies I ever taught when I started teaching years ago, college Bible study, I said there's a group of deaf sheep out there. Those are the people that don't hear God's voice. I mean, there's whole denominations that don't think you can hear God. And they're the deaf sheep. Someone says, well, that's kind of mean. I'm like, oh, no, the Bible's worse. He says you're not his sheep if you don't hear him. That is how strong he's telling you you know his voice. I mean, mothers know it. It's unique how a baby can recognize the mother. And the mother can be sitting in a service and hear her child scream. And out of a thousand whiny kids, they can pick their kid out because you know the voice. 
It's a parental thing. And just like you recognize that voice parentally, the same is true about you and God. It's familiar. Don't panic. When God speaks to you, it has that sound, like I always said with my dad. My dad's voice, it had love in it, and it was firm. It had both in it. It had authority, but I could tell that he literally had my best interest in mind. It's a father's voice like nothing else. So this is your journey here on your struggle to hear God's voice, your personal story, because you've got to learn to hear on cue. The first time this spoke to me, I had started this journey of hearing God because my dad decided I was going to hear God. So at a very young age, like your two girls there, the Lord started me on my journey of hearing. And so now that you've come to the Lord, I'm going to say just start from the very beginning on learning to hear God speak to you. You know, the little boy Samuel, he heard at a very young age, and he was like, here I am. It's so familiar to him, he thought it was Eli. He thought it was the most familiar voice in his life. And on the fourth time, he said, here I am, Lord, speak. And it said he was beginning to get acquainted with the Lord's voice. So it's fun to start young and start getting acquainted with what God's voice sounds like. Like starting that journey. But even though that had happened to me, I was setting that up to say, I'll never forget on my back porch here, that's where my house was, was right out this door, was one of my college kids And it wasn't one of my very spiritual ones. It was one of my babies. And I asked him a question. I said, will you do this, such and such? And he goes, oh, oh, I will ask God, and I'll let you know what he says. And I looked at him, and I thought, is it really that easy for you? That you're that confident in hearing God that you're just going to ask, and then you're going to do what he tells you. And I thought, out of the mouth of babes, it's going to be that easy. You just ask. So I'm telling you, you can hear that easy. Just ask. Let's see what God says. So I told the Lord, the first thing I'm going to do to show that I honor this verse is I'm going to have enough respect for you to start asking. And then it's up to you to start speaking in a way that I can hear it. So I want you to think about hearing on cue. Like where God gives you a nudge. He highlights someone to you. A command. Some people make a case of hearing on big things. Other people make a case for hearing on little things. you got to learn how to hear on both. I don't think it's smart to only hear God on those major decisions of your life and then let go of the details. I don't think it's good that you hear on unimportant things that are small but miss God on major things in your life. I would say hear God on both. And then, of course, hearing God under pressure. Of course, that's another story, but I'll just say this, that when I was young, a lady was in surgery and they were going to cut off her leg because she had cancer. And if they didn't, they said the lady would die on the operating table. So my dad said, run upstairs and hear God. And I thought, now, if that isn't a man that expects me to learn how to hear under pressure, and I'm going to go against MD Anderson's doctors. (laughs) So my dad never feared of a getting me to learn to hear God under pressure. You know, a lot of times the mistake a parent will make is, well, I don't want to mess up their faith. I don't want something to go wrong. Take the fear out of it. If you can recognize a voice as a child, you can hear under pressure. You can hear God speak to you. Well, 
I know I got into college and the Lord spoke to me in the bathroom. You know, the number one place God speaks is the bathroom. And he told me, go join the summer missions program. And I just think my life would not be the same if I hadn't have done that. Like all those pictures, all the relationships, all the friendships, where we train our teams. It just one small little decision. But I made a huge mistake. I did not want to go to a certain country. And it's an interesting story how my dad told me to go to this one country. And uh, I actually picked the third choice just because some friends told me, you'd be really good in that country. You're, you'd be good at debating. We need someone good at scripture to debate. And I'm sitting in chapel, and I'm, I mean, they're sending our teams off. And lo and behold, I'm worshiping God, just not a care in the world. And the Lord says to me, you're on the wrong team. And he showed a picture of me in the corner of a room, depressed, crying. And he said, that's what your summer's going to look like. It's my first mission trip, and I was a little nervous to leave home for three months. I can't tell you the mess it made. I asked the Lord, will I be able to switch teams? He said, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, I had nurses jabbing me in both arms with needles going into me. They were mad. They almost killed me with what they did to me to get me on that. I was uh, literally got two men into a fight. I was told to fast. They make up false accusations, and they put me on TV to raise money. And then at the very end, they kicked me out of the entire missions program. I went anyway. I didn't care if I did get kicked out. God had told me to go. And it changed my life by going. But it all started with me not hearing God on what country. Don't wait till you're in a royal mess to hear that, hear where to go. <laughs> on the back row. <laughs> you feel me back there, don't you? Yeah, don't wait till you've done it where you just don't think you can hear and you just kind of on lazy river going around, just one more lap around before you put the pressure on yourself to hear. Because I blew up their whole missions program before I got on the team that changed my life. We had 10,000 people on the field. You need to be building confidence in your ability to hear God speak to you. Like Saul, you don't need to give up without a struggle. What about your hearing God? Are you doing this thing with God of snapping my fingers, I want to hear a word from you? Mm, I don't think that's the right attitude. Just some people, they just expect God to just like that. You know, Saul didn't manage himself. He wasn't peaceful. He was operating in fear. Saul didn't struggle with his hearing. He was very mechanical. He wanted it just like he wanted everything else with impatience. If you're impatient, I told you it's going to be hard to hear God. Put patience in there with hearing. You know, Another problem is some people put God's name on the stranger's voice. Uh, we were talking about that on the way in, that there's some people that think every time they hear a voice go through their head, it's God speaking to them. <laughs> Don't ever marry someone that thinks that every voice they hear is God. <laughs> it makes a mess because everything is, God told me, God told me. Well, what can you do if God told them? I mean, you're stuck. <laughs> Uh, be careful with that stranger's voice. You need to get a person in your life that can hear God. You know, we have a girl, she hears a voice. Steph and I played a big role in her life. That started out by hearing God, but she hears a voice tell her, 
don't go to Brownwood. <laughs> don't go to Brownwood. My Lynn, she kicks and screams and, I mean, hangs onto a tree and just won't cross that line in Brownwood. Now, she, she's not pretending to hear on anything else, but that one world is, makes her afraid. Well, that's probably because she... It's exactly where she needs to be. Yeah, the duct tape. So it makes a mess that they hear this stranger's voice and they tell you, she goes, how do I know it's not God speaking to me? And I'm like, it's not bearing good fruit. I mean, look at your life. We had to find you after 12 days laying out there. Another way, let me see if you identify with this one of hearing God. You hear God through open and closed doors. And you quote the verse, Isaiah 22, 22. Lord, just the door you open, no man can shut. And the door you shut, no man can open. It's baby steps. But some of us, every opportunity, we say it's God. I mean, if it's a job, it's an opportunity, open door. Now, I know none of you are in this, but in college of, oh, my gosh, this is how my guys would talk to me. Because men are especially this way. Oh, my gosh, she's so beautiful. That's God's will for me. <laughs> That's an open door. <laughs> The only problem I had was the girl would come to me and said, 15 guys have told me I'm God's will for them. So I'd just tell them, marry them all. They're all hearing. <laughs> but it's open and closed doors. You know, it just looks good. It's the opportunity. Let's take it. Grow past your open and closed doors. Don't make God be locking them down or unlocking them for you for every step. Oh, now here's one. You can't miss this one. The number one way of hearing, reasoning. Mm, I just reason. I mean, Saul was a reasoner. Well, I just thought those sheep would have made a good sacrifice. And then he told little boy David, well, I'm telling you, that guy's had military training from then on. You need to wear this coat of armor. Saul used his reasoning with everything. Number one way, Christians, hear God. Is the voice of reasoning. Reasoning. And then they do the spiritual thing and it's terrible. And just ask God to bless it. How much of our life was reasoning? Not asking. And just asking God to bless it. Reasoning is not hearing God at all. And I'm only trying to save you problems because I don't want you in a fiasco like I was in on the mission trip. Like, I did not want to hear from my dad. Those times I don't want to ask Brother Jacob Kieran what he hears. <laughs> Those were my young days. I don't want to run it past that test. And I've seen it happen where some of you all go, want to call Brother Jacob on that? No, I don't want to ask him. You're exchanging reasoning for not pressing in to hearing. Again, it's the impatience excuse. Anybody can make a split-second decision. You may be good at making decisions like this, but it's not the same of getting a word from God. And let me take it a little further because I want you to hear this. I really like this verse, and I don't get a chance to say it much. But in 1 Corinthians 14.1, it said, Pursue love. Like We hear that preached everywhere. Pursue love. Pursue love. Pursue love. Walk in love, and especially when you hear the list of what love is. I mean, it's not, it's not the list where it feels good, love. It's love is patient. Who starts out love being patient? I mean, like, is that how you define love? I, I'm in love with her because I'm so patient. 
I did find out there's some truth to when a man gets patient with a woman, he has a little bit of a crush on her. All right, so pursue love. He's just said it, the love chapter. But then he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but especially that you prophesy. Are you being obedient to that, that you desire the spiritual gifts? Desire there is the, is the strong word. I mean, it's lust, desire, passion, wanting it, desire earnestly, but especially that you can prophesy. And it is not our prophecy that we have in churches today. Well, I just bless you. I just feel that God's going to use you in life. And, and I just feel like, uh, let me think, oh, you're in the family. And I mean, you listen to that prophecy. There's nothing interesting about that prophecy. They quote five scriptures and call it a prophecy. Listen to the verse 24. Listen to what prophecy is. We call this Old Testament because all the grace preachers are preaching a watered-down prophecy. They're not having any fun with prophecy. Look at this. But if all prophesies and an unbeliever walks in or an ungifted man comes in the room, oh, this is good. He is convicted by all and he's called into account by all. And then it says, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And when you tell the secrets that are in his heart, he will fall down on his face and he will worship God, and he'll declare God's with you. That's New Testament prophecy. That's powerful. And nobody says that. They give this little mildewed, lukewarm version of prophecy where you would never know if they were right or wrong. This kind of prophecy you are either hearing or you're not hearing. There are no two ways about it. It was like that time that my dad was praying for the couple where the guy brought the lady to our house with a gun on her. But I was sitting with him, and he tells the lady, you have a a spirit of grief on you, and you picked it up because someone close to you died, and you crawled up on top of them, and you were clutching them, and that spirit of grief came on you. I about fainted. I was like, oh, my gosh, who does that? Like, there's no way that happened. Look, she's young. She did have a spirit of grief on her, for sure. I go upstairs, I fall on my face, and I say, Lord, forgive me. I'm causing my dad to get off. I have doubt and unbelief in me. He's not hearing God. I know, oh my gosh, he's embarrassed himself. That's how it started out with my father. Next day, the lady calls. She goes, boy, my husband's head hurts. It was slamming against the back of that couch. You know, none of us had touched him. We were just praying for him. But she goes, now, tell me how that man knew what had happened. She goes, I was married before this man. And my first husband came back in a box from Vietnam. And he described the scene. That's where that spirit of grief entered. That's prophecy. That's scary enough that it made me go get on my knees and say, God, how does he hear like that? So write down, prophecy is a form of hearing God's voice. And it reveals secrets. It reveals the unknown. And it reveals the future. We need it. Don't dumb down your Bible. Make up your mind. Either you're going to live it, and you're going to live it extreme, and you're going to believe it, and you're going to do what it says. It says hot or cold, not in the middle. And that's what made me decide with the Lord, if you convince me, what would you say with a compelling God is? If you show me that side of yourself that you're irresistible, I'll serve you.
And you're filling in that now with the Lord, of that irresistible side of him. It's just too much fun not to go there. What would you be missing out on? A mundane, boring life. When you were a sinner, you used to kick up your heels. Why not with the Lord? Why not go to that place? So that's what prophecy is. That's what we're moving towards is a desiring earnestly. Lord, I want to be able to hear like that. You know, if I was writing down some things, I would say where he surprises me. Just out of the blue, out of nowhere, he gives me a download. In an instant, and you hear God speak to you. Surely you can name me some of those. Write them down of sin. I just know there's these times that God spoke to me clearly. Other times he's spoken to me rapidly. I'd be out going, Lord, I don't have anything to speak on. I don't know what to speak on. Yes, I have 200 lessons on file at this point, but none of them feel right. I just keep getting a blank. And I'm out in that field walking before cell phones. And all of a sudden, people think I had digestive issues. Because the Lord, as quick as it comes, downloads an entire lesson to me from start to finish. And you see me running for my house to get a pencil and paper and start writing. This is the Bible study. So you go from nothing to something. Have you ever had God speak like that to you in a dream? Like my dad dreaming what to do when our sliding glass windows won't open in our house, our plate glass windows, and the engineer tells him, oh, if you do that, everyone I'm going to pop out on the floor. That God speaks to you. He gives you understanding. He speaks rapidly. He'll sometimes point out a verse to you that he pointed out to me that John 14, 12, and the only thing I knew about that verse, it says, we'll do greater things. You know that verse. It's a great promise. We'll do greater things than what he's done. But I'd never seen the little piece of the verse that said, you'll do the same things he did. The Lord told me, you're going to need it. One week later, I was in an auditorium of hundreds of people in a debate. You know, I had told the Lord, I'll do anything you want me to. I'll smuggle. I'll do anything, but I will never public speak and from the stage, they declared my mother a heretic. And they told me I had to debate them. I won it with this verse. It was a knockout. <laughs> In the first round, this verse knocked the guy out. And I made him read the verse. I told him, stand up and read it to me. And he just falls back into the chair. He was humiliated in front of everyone. And I rushed him. And I asked him, what has caused you to fight God like this? And he told me, my kid has a birth defect. And I told him, I said, but we're dealing with a God who makes impossible things possible. And he started listening, started crying. When I turned to walk away, he said to me, and I'm going to fight you with everything I have in me. Hardness. But I won with this in the debate. That he tells you things ahead of time. Listen to God. He's telling you little bitty things. The Lord told me, he said, what makes you think you have to answer anybody that asks you a question? I said, well, I, I don't know. I just Someone asked me. He says, and you always give them an answer. He told me, you can just stay quiet and not say anything. He said, I want you to realize that when someone asks you a question, you don't have to speak. Like, they're not going to reach in my mouth and grab my tongue. Or He said, just stay quiet. One week later, I'm in a situation, and this guy was asking me, who told you this information? It came back to me, uh-oh, just stay quiet. So I just looked at him. 
smile a little bit. Who told you this information? Well, the guy who had told it to me was sitting beside me. He said his life was passing before him. He said life as he knew it was going to stop. And this guy gets out of his seat, and he gets in my face, and he starts yelling, who told you this information? You know, there's something about somebody looking at you and smiling and not saying anything. They assume you're deaf. <laughs> so I don't think his shouting was because he was really trying to put the intimidation screws down on me. But it was because he thought I'm deaf, so he made sure I wasn't deaf. So he's nose to nose with me, and he's yelling at me, tell me who told you. Well, he knew it wasn't the guy, but he told me, I know it's not the guy beside you. Y'all have never met till today. We shook hands. He didn't know about the phone call. And I went through 15 or 20 minutes with him ordering me and using every scripture he could think of to command me to tell him. And I just have going through my head what God had told me. You don't have to answer. So I just smiled. He was like, he thought something's wrong with her. We walk out of that meeting, and I'm walking beside that guy, and he's whispering under his breath, and he goes, how did you do that? He goes, I could have never stood up to what you just took. I said, always did well in my, my spankings. <laughs> said, I held up quite well. And he said, it was remarkable watching what you did. He said, I would not be having a job. He said, have you ever eaten that, that Brazilian steakhouse? I said, never. He goes, take you to dinner. <laughs> But it came from God telling me ahead of time, this is something you need to know. Did you know God is speaking to you? He's protecting you. He's telling you what to say to the kids around you. He's telling you things. Have you ever heard God speak to you and your mind argues with it? I was in deliverance. We'd finished it. This guy had come to us because he needed a healing. We completely finished the whole deliverance. I'm happy to have it over with. And the Lord told me, he smokes. My mind did not think he smoked. It started going. There's no way my mind didn't bear witness with that. You don't smell it on him. He doesn't have any of the habits. He's been walking with the Lord. I went ahead and said, you smoke. He was not happy about me telling him that. I still don't think he's recovered from it, has he? And I was going to tell you, sometimes you'll hear God and your mind will tell you, no, 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 no. But other times, it's really different. We had another girl. Something was wrong. I got up in the middle of the night. And I started praying in the spirit for her, crying out, saying, God, help this girl. Help this girl. And the Lord told something on her. And the minute he told me, I knew it was true. And I call Steph, and I tell her, I think the Lord just spoke to me. I don't see how it could possibly have happened, but he just told me. Now, how come on one did my mind argue and on the other one, inside of me, I knew it was truth. So we get her in the room, and I tell her what the Lord told me. And she goes, no, that didn't happen. That's not true. And I was about to open my mouth with what I was going to say next, something along the lines that I had done to a pastor here in town. He had told me, no, I've never been to that woman's house. I said, has she ever been to your house? No, she's never been to my house. I wait about five minutes, and the Lord told me, Ask him what the inside of her house looks like. He told me what it did. He goes, I was lying. <laughs> so I was fixing to do something like that. Ask the Lord, you know, how to say it next. But instead, my whippersnapper friend jumps up off her legs and she goes, you're lying <laughs> to the girl. 
And the girl's face just puffs up like a baby, turns bright red. <laughs> she confesses. She didn't let me do a second hearing like I did for the guy. I thought, what an odd way. Why would the guy tell me he's never been to her house and then admit to me what the inside of her house looks like? I guess he got to thinking, God's showing her. Another one, it was just the other day I was looking at her. I was like, I see someone standing beside her. And I said, there's someone that's lying to you. Who is that person? And I made her name it. So she named it, and I said, is he very tall and young? She goes, yes, he's my husband. I was like, oh, no. And I said, like, tall, tall. And she said, yeah, six foot four. And I was, like, shocked. So there are times that God will reveal to you, like, you'll see it. You want this in your life. You want to be able to hear. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about. It reveals the secrets in verse 24 that are in a person's heart. Like where God just literally tells something that there is no way you could have known about them. And it sets them free. Like they're not going to confess to you. But it's the one thing holding them back. So I want you to write a diary out of your hearing God's voice. I want you to literally write out when you've heard, what's blocking you, how sometimes your mind will reason with you and say, absolutely not, there's no way that could be right, and how other times it'll bear witness. And I want you to do what I did. There was a time I was struggling with that thing of thinking, I can't hear God, I can't hear like, I get what my dad's saying, I, I get what she's saying, but I can't hear. And that's when I went to the auditorium, and I get on my knees, and I told the Lord, I'm not leaving here till you speak to me, God. And I grab my ears, and I say, these ears are not for decorations. They're not to hold sunglasses up. These ears are made to hear my shepherd's voice. And I said, Lord, would you make a deal with me? Don't let it be on me hearing, but let it be on how you speak to me. Make it where this sheep that's not good at hearing can hear. Would you speak to me in such a way that I make sure that I hear you? If you have to, would you shout? Just make me be able to hear your voice. And so I just kept asking God, God, I'm not leaving here till you speak. And I was in a trap, and either way I went, it was going to make a huge mess. And there weren't any other options. And I told the Lord, I'm not leaving here until you speak. It took 45 minutes, and he told me what to do. Because there's a struggle to hearing. And this is what Pat told me about my father. That he would go to the radio room. And he'd go into the sound booth and he would get on his knees and he would say, God, I need to hear from you because that's the quietest place. And as he sat on his knees, he would cry out and he'd say, God, you're not speaking to me. Why can't I hear your voice? And he'd begin to repent. And what my dad repented for, he said, there's things in our life that block you from hearing God. And he said one of the biggest things that blocked him was when people play movies that have God's name in vain. He said, you can't hear God when God's name is being blasphemed. He said, it has to be praised. With the men that worked on the house, he said, don't use God's name in vain. He said, it makes it where I can't hear God speak. 
So he was on his face and he said, I heard, you know, from the family that there was none of that in that movie. But when God's name was blasphemed, he pulled that out of, he ejected it out of the player. And he said, God, we're sorry. And he begins to repent because the name to God is holy and it's precious. And he said, God, I want a place where I can hear your voice. And so that covenant, it takes struggles with God. And it scares me because it's easy to believe that you can't hear, but you've got to struggle. So I'm going to read you this. And this is what God was speaking to me when, when Pat brought this up. But in Genesis 32, 24, so Jacob was left alone. And that's you. You're left alone. He said he sent his family ahead of him, but he lay there alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when that man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched his hip and he threw it out of joint. Now what's strange about that, it'll say it was a man, it'll say it was an angel, and it'll say it's God. Now you explain to me what this means, that the man saw he couldn't overpower Jacob. What kind of God do we have? that we wrestle with him at that level. It'd be like wrestling with your girls. Is there ever a point that your dad couldn't overpower you? It's absurd. But that the Lord allows us to wrestle with him in such a way that literally it's everything in your body where you're holding on to God and you're saying, I want what you have. I want it. And so Jacob is wrestling at this point. And the man says to Jacob, let me go. It's daybreak. Like, we've been at this all night long. Now, if I saw an angel appear to me, I wouldn't think that the first thing I needed to do was grab it. But I guarantee you, if I had been around when my dad left this earth and jumped up, or when Jesus went up, I would have grabbed him. And I would have said, I have a few more questions. <laughs> and you see this, that he's saying, let, let go, it's light out. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. Is that what you're going to say to God? I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Well, that's something. I'm telling you, this pulls everything inside of you. And the man asked him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. It will be Israel, the prince of God, because you've struggled with God and with humans and you've overcome. Is that what God wants from you, for you to struggle with him? I think people would think it was heresy if I said, Paige struggled with God and she overcame. Her husband might say, amen. And so Jacob basically says, turnaround's fair play. Please tell me your name. And he replied, why do you ask my name? It says, then, the, then he, let's just use the pronoun, blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him, and he passed Peniel, but he was limping because of his hip. Have you ever fought someone and wrestled your brother so hard that for three days you can't walk? 
you strained everything in you, you're not going to let him win. I mean, you're holding him down and you make him cry and ask for his mommy. <laughs> You've got it bent up behind his back, his arm, and, and he cries like a baby. He screams like a girl. That's how hard Jacob wrestled. He struggled with man, with an angel, and with God. And so this is my answer. Are you really going to give up and just say, I can't hear God? Are you going to do almost the heretical thing of fighting it out so much with God that he ends up blessing you, that you want it so bad you're not going to let him go until he gives you what he promised, that his sheep hear his voice, a strangers they'll not follow because you know the voice of God. Amen. Can I give you 30 bucks? <laughs> <laughs>